Hey church, I hope you're well today. It's great to be with you. You I love church, I really do. Online, offline, in a home, on the street, down the pub, wherever we are, I love that we get to do this stuff together, to share life together and together to be with Jesus. Now, I still remember reading a Dr. Zeus children's book, which said, you're on your own and you know what you know, and you are the one who will decide where to go. You know, so often in so many ways, the world has tried to sell me a lie that it's all about me and that I am the central figure in my story and that it's my successes and, and my choices that really count and that I need to look out for myself because at the end of the day, I am on my own and only I know what I know and I am the one who will decide where I go. Well, the good news is that you are not on your own. You know, and you don't ever have to be on your own. You are loved. Jesus is with you. God's spirit is in you. And we are in this together. And today on Trinity Sunday, we are going to celebrate this togetherness. You know, our, to our togetherness, which is a reflection of the togetherness and the love of God himself. God who is Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that this understanding of God, this Trinity, isn't just some abstract theological construct. Now, I want to encourage you today that Trinity is our pattern for life. Now, last week we read from Acts and we celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the birth of the church. And today we're going to continue with that story. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the, the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right at the start, at the birth of the church, we are introduced not to a building, but to a way of life. Something that the Greeks used to call koinonia. 
which is an amazingly rich word that that we see translated here in Acts as fellowship, you know, sometimes sharing or participation or, or contribution. And it conveys all of these incredible notions of a loving community of togetherness, a generous and deep intimacy. And it's this expression, this koinonia, that forms the heart of the remarkable descriptions of the shared life of the earliest Christians. And to understand why this koinonia, this sense of togetherness, is so important, we need to go right back to the beginning and see that God never conceived of us as isolated individuals. Male and female, he created them. Right from the beginning, the design was difference and togetherness. Man and woman, a family, a community, created and commissioned together to care for the world together. And at the end of the creation account, we see this wonderful picture of intimate unity and oneness. In Genesis 2, it finishes by saying of the man and the woman that they were both naked and they felt no shame. It's a picture of openness vulnerability, nothing hidden, total interdependence, love. Now, of course, we know the story and the world gets broken. Humankind falls the moment they say, I know what's best. I am what's central to this story. And the result was division, separation from God, from one another, from creation. Everything changed and suddenly rather than being defined by love, by our relationships, we became defined by our separation. Our identity becomes rooted in individuality, distinction, distance. Rather than being one in the world, we become a world of ones. And today, after thousands and thousands of years of human achievement, nothing has changed. And we find ourselves adrift in an increasingly individualistic and polarized culture. It's the affliction of our world and the consequence of selfishness, of sin. In the opening scene of the now classic film about a boy, Hugh Grant's playboy character muses on the famous quote, no man is an island. And he responds saying, in my opinion, all men are islands. And what more, now is the time to be one. This, he says, as he comfortably sits there alone, tapping on his computer, this is an island age. Now we've become conditioned to be self-centered individuals. This is an island age and it breaks God's heart. Because God didn't just design us to be together because he thought it was a good idea. He made us like this because this is what he is like. God chose to make us in his own image. 
And who is he? Who is this God? Well, he is love. That's what the Bible tells us. Not just that God loves, but that God is love. His very being is love. Our one God who is Father, Son and Spirit. God's nature, the stuff of God, is a relationship. And this is the great mystery of the Trinity, that God is love. And he made us to be like him. So to live divided is to destroy the image of God in the world. And that's why Jesus came. The Prince of Peace is why his great prayer was, Father, I pray that all of them may be one. And it's why Jesus came and lived and died and was raised to life in order to deal with our sin and its consequences, all this separation. It's why Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come and empower us to live in a different way. And it's why the church was born, this intimate, generous community where once again the image of God could be displayed in the world. Life as it should be. It's what we were made for. It's what we've been redeemed for. And it's what we will be for eternity. Our Trinity is the pattern for life. It's the image in which we were created. It's what our lives together should reflect. Back in the fourth century, the Cappadocian fathers, who this little gang of theologians, church leaders, they began to use the word perichoresis to refer to the the mutual indwelling or the, the being in one another expressed in the Trinity. It, it inferred something of a, of a divine dance as Father, Son and Spirit make room for one another. Distinct, yet not divided. Different, yet not independent. And one of today's leading theological voices, a, a German guy called Jürgen Moltmann, well, he talks of the gospel as the great love story of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a divine love story in which we are all involved together with heaven and earth. You know, God is not a solitary figure existing in abstract isolation. God embodies relationship. He is love, and it's out of this love that he creates and loves and redeems and loves and calls us back into his love. So as the church today, the question is, well, how are we going to reflect the Trinitarian God who has created us and redeems us and calls us into relationship with himself? Our mandate, just as Jesus prayed, is to ensure that as the world looks on, they see through us that God is love. Now, that's all very theological, but how does it work? Well, here's two quick thoughts about this pattern of life for us to take away today. 
Uh, and the first is that Trinity reorders our perspective. You know, we need to allow what we see of God to reorder, to repattern the way that we see everything else. You know, back in Acts, after Peter boldly preached the good news about Jesus, you could kind of paraphrase verses 41 to 43 by saying this. Thousands accepted the message and committed themselves to discovering more together. And it was amazing. But what it definitely doesn't say is that thousands accepted the message, so they put their head down and read a book. Or so they put their headphones in and listened to a podcast. Or, or thousands accepted the message, so they opened their iPad and they watched some sermons online. You know, in our individualistic society today, it's no surprise that the primary ways to learn or consume media or anything really are solo, designed especially for you. And of course, today's media, well, it's kind of actually next level. You know, our media platforms, often including the way that we access podcasts or sermon sound bites, even church gatherings now, are controlled by carefully crafted algorithms created to keep you in a bubble and to shape your perspective and to make sure that you just get what you think you want. You know, the first time this really sunk in for me was back in 2016 with the UK's EU referendum. You know, it seemed certain that the decision was going to go one way. And I was certain of it because literally everything in all of my media feeds said so. But when I woke up the next morning, it was a shock. And I realized that something somewhere had decided what it thought I wanted to see and hear and had ordered my perspective in a particular way. And I have been increasingly aware of this happening so many times now over the last five years. You know, so many of us just being pushed further and further into our own little echo chambers. You know, don't allow your perspective to be ordered by the trinity of Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You know, they are not the ones that we're created to reflect. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't engage in social media. You know, these can be amazing tools for good, for God's kingdom. But what I am saying is let's not allow them to be the things that set the pattern for our life. God, the Trinity, invites you into a different space to live according to a different pattern, you know, one that isn't focused on you and doesn't always look like you. Yeah, and this is one of the key things that defined the earliest Christian communities. Unlike today, back in the first century, shared life wasn't particularly distinctive. Communities often sprang up around the commonality of race or religion or vocation. Communities who lived together, worked together, looked out for one another. The distinctive bit about these new Jesus communities 
was their diversity. You know, we see this later in the book of Acts. Jews, Romans, Greeks, rich, poor, slave, free, old, young, together. Now, the early church was distinctive in their diversity and in their diversity, their unity. And this is a message that we need to hear today, isn't it? This is the message our world is desperate for. We need to be different. We need to live different. We need to reflect a pattern of diversity in unity, the pattern of the Holy Trinity. And it's going to take a reordering of our perspective. Trinity reorders our perspective. Second, Trinity requires our participation. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. If following Jesus is not a spectator sport. Yeah, Trinity is our pattern for life, for mutual action, each one making room for the other. You can't just sit on the sidelines. Again, as Maltman said, this is a divine love story in which we are all involved together with heaven and earth. So come on, let's get involved. You know, I love these four verses in Acts. They're so active. You know, they were together. They sold. They gave. They ate. They met. You know, these earliest followers of the way of Jesus were caught up in just that, a, a way of Jesus, a way of life, and in intentional set of actions of of giving of eating of meeting and praising which drew them together and together drew them closer to God and it was as they chose to participate in that togetherness that they reflected the image of God in the world so in this season where we are being given a renewed permission to be together. Let's grasp hold of that gift and let's be together. Let's meet together. Let's eat together. Let's give to one another. You know, I want to encourage you today to consider the pattern of your life. You know, who are the people that are around you? How are you participating in their lives and allowing them to participate in yours. You know, together, how are you participating in the life of God? You know, very practically, what do your summer plans look like? Who's in them? How might they be a reflection of God's love and life? So may you join in this divine dance. May the Trinity be the pattern of your life, reordering your perspective and requiring your participation. 
And may you see and know the God who is love, in whose image we were all formed and whose life we are created to reflect.